0: Um, we're going to be in Exodus 33. If you want to open your Bibles there, we'll get there in a second. Um, I, just want to, I just want to pray as well as we start, if that's okay. Um, we're aware of this that fact that God is omnipresent, is everywhere. But there are times where he makes his presence more keenly felt, or we're more aware of his presence. And I just want to pray for that as, we start, as I start preaching, really. I think there's been a sense of that already in the worship time. And God encouraging us to pursue Him, but I just love us to do that through the word as well. So Holy Spirit, you are here already. Um, we don't welcome you here because you are here. We're asking you to move amongst us this morning, this afternoon. I pray you'd give us the ability to, to know your voice, increase our awareness of your presence. come and work amongst us this morning. Come and reveal. Jesus to us, that we may fall in love with him even more than we already are, and if we don't yet know him, that he will become our saviour today. Amen. Life is full of difficult choices and decisions. If you're a student here, you have made the decision to study a certain subject in Sheffield. Now, I can't tell you whether the choice about the subject is right, but you've chosen Sheffield, God's own city. That was a good choice. But a difficult decision to make. It can affect the whole of your life. I'm here because I came to university in Sheffield. I met my wife in Sheffield. We've had four kids in Sheffield because I put it down on an ACAS form back in 1994. I know I don't look here. <laughs> that was too slow. You need to get in quicker with that one big decisions, a career path, what should I be, what should, where should I go, how should I earn money, your life partner, who should I spend my life with, who should be my friends, my close friends, pension plans, for those of us thinking about those sort of things, big decisions, Netflix or Amazon Prime, or both, ooh, luxury. Which Paw Patrol pup is your favourite? Now, I want to establish, I, I'm struggling to land on which is my favourite, I'll be honest with you. I need some help with deciding which Paw Patrol pup is the best. So, if you're unfamiliar with Paw Patrol, it is the best kids' TV programme on TV by a mile, by a mile. <laughs> so, we're going to go, go voting. I don't know them all, actually. Let's, let's see if we can get, who likes Everest. Oh, it's Everest is one, one for Everest. Zuma? Zuma, okay, yeah. Yeah, and Zuma, so we've got two for Zuma. Um, Rubble? Rubble, we've got two for Rubble. Four, four for Rubble, I thought there might be more for Rubble. Um, five, Chris doesn't know what he's talking about, he's just <laughs> jumping in there. Uh, is there a, a Rocky? Rocky, we've got one for Rocky. I need some help with the names now, I'm running out. Sky? Sky, yeah, I can see that. Sky. <laughs> There's another one, isn't there? Marshall. He's the funny one. Oh, no, is that a double vote there, Amy? Marshall, yeah! No, no. He doubts himself too much. <laughs> Amy's critiquing the characters. You shall not be my favorite, for you doubt too much. I shall choose a non-doubter. You've really thought this one through, Amy. Amy. Really? Wow. <laughs> Too much time on her hands. Ch- Chase? Oh, Chase. Eliza likes Chase. Wow, you brought Chase with you as well. Brilliant. It's so hard. I'm, I'm currently... And Chase as well. Yeah, I, it looked like... Who was fought. Chase. Chase has just done it. Chase has just won with five. Chase is the winner. Chase is now my favourite Paw Patrol. These are difficult decisions we need to make. If you don't know what your favorite Paw Patrol pup is, do some research and make a choice. The most difficult decision I have ever observed is in the context of Build a Bear. If you're unfamiliar with Build a Bear, it is a whole shop of decisions. There's a whole shop, a whole. Right, so this is a Build a Bear, if you're unfamiliar. This is a Build. Every bit on here is a decision. And the first decision you have to make is what sack like em- empty void of a bear you want to fill with fluff. Now, Isabel, hello Charlotte. <laughs> this is Isabel's. She spent an hour choosing the body. It's a difficult decision, an hour to choose that. Another hour to choose all the accessories. She has a night t- Is it these pajamas or daytime? Don't know. She has pajamas and a daytime. She has roller skates. She has shoes. So many decisions to make. Difficult decisions. We have to find reasons for it, don't we? Why? What should we do? What? Anyway, two hours in Build a Bear, and we survived. Okay. <laughs> for anyone who ends up being dragged or um, being invited or to go into Build a Bear, you can get through it. <laughs> Just pray beforehand and throughout, and take lo- take lots of chocolate with you. We. Oh, normal more decision one more decision, we need to get decisions in the head, choices. Matt Post, it's your birthday today, isn't it? What's it going to be? You've got to make a tough decision for a present. This one. Uh, there you go. You may open it. This is what he could have won. <laughs> a potato. <laughs> happy birthday. Nothing says happy birthday like a potato. Anyone want a potato, Ingrid? Yeah, there you go. (laughs) There you go. Happy birthday. Right, decisions over. Big decisions. We're going to look at a very big decision that Moses had to make, a very difficult decision he had to make. And hopefully all of us here are familiar with the story of Moses. I'm going to skip through really quickly just to give us some context and some background. So... Moses was the leader of the people of God who led them out of Egypt when they were in slavery. And as John read out, he came to the Red Sea and suddenly feared, but God opened up the Red Sea and allowed them to go through. And then in the wilderness, Moses went up a mountain He received the Ten Commandments from God. Meanwhile, down the mountain, the people of God have just seen ridiculous miracles decide the best way to celebrate that is by making a golden calf. No idea why. But they do that and God is not happy. He wipes out a few of them and says they need to go on their own. He's not coming with them anymore because he may destroy them. Moses intervenes and God relents. And we pick up the story where God has still plans for them. God's still got plans for his people. He says, you can still go into the promised land. You can still do these amazing things. I'll send my angel ahead of you and you will defeat the enemies and you will go ahead and fulfill the plans that I had for you. But I'm not going to go with you. Now that doesn't sound that bad initially. You get victories. You get the promised land. You get goodness. You get to fulfill God's plans. But for Moses, it really isn't that simple. And we're going to see how he responds by joining the story at verse 12 in Exodus 33. Moses said to the Lord, you have been telling me, lead these people. But you've not let me know whom you will send with me. You've said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways, so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. The Lord replied, My my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked because I'm pleased with you and I know you by name. This is the dilemma, this is the choice. We've looked at very funny ones, very amusing ones. But this is Moses' difficult choice. Does he enter the promised land with all of Israel, or does he choose God's presence? He says, we're not going to go, we're not going to leave unless you come with us, Lord. I'm not just going to take the promises, I need you, I want you, I choose you. He chooses what's, Moses' choice reveals what's most important to him, it's not the plans and purposes of God, actually. It's not the blessings of God, actually. It's God himself. It's not success. He chooses relationship. It's not promises. He chooses the presence. It's not material blessings. He chooses God. Moses sets out his reasons for this decision for us. And with this Build-A-Bear, there was a very specific reason. The reason why it only took an hour, and I say that because it felt like it was going to be longer, the only reason it took an hour, because we, we were chatting, we decided that as Isabel grew up, this one would be more attractive. The other outer sack, weird skin, stuffless thing was more juvenile and younger, and so she wouldn't want it as much. So now she still likes this builder a Two years later, she had a good reason for choosing that skin What are Moses' reasons? He gives us two reasons. Let's go to verse 16 and look at those. Verse 16, how will anyone know that you are pleased with me and your people unless you go with us? How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and your people? Is Moses a little bit insecure? Is he on an eager trip? Is he saying, God, I need everyone to know that you're my best friend forever? Is it like Moses handing God a little BFF bracelet and say, if you wear this, or if I can have yours, then it will be all right? Is that what he's doing? Is God's presence just something for Moses to show off, show off to, to kind of encourage himself? Well, I don't think it is, and Jesus experienced the same thing. So if we turn to Matthew 3.17, Matthew 3.17, it says, Jesus' baptism The Holy Spirit descends like a dove and then God, the Father, speaks. He said, this is my son whom I love and with whom I'm well pleased. I'm well pleased with him. God comes and speaks that over Jesus, the son of God. And Moses is asking really for the same thing. Lord, I want to know your favor. I want to know you're pleased with me. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me unless you go with us? So why did Moses get that or want that, and why did Jesus receive it? Well, for Jesus, it was probably for all those around gathered to know, this is the Son of God. Listen to him. later on in Matthew, in uh, chapter 17, as Chris was reminding us yesterday as well, that's what God says again, this is my Son with whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. It's for us to know who he is. It's for the disciples at that time to know it is who he is. And for Moses, there's an element of that. Please come with us so that people know who we are. We're your people. I'm your people. I'm chosen. I'm favored. We want people to know who we are, that they might know who you are. It's a legitimate reason. But also, I don't know, kids, you might be able to relate to this or not. Have you ever been a situation where your mummy or daddy's a little bit angry with you? My kids are like, you yeah. know too often. <laughs> That's, that sense of, if I can call it displeasure or displeased, to, to live under that. To think, am I, am, are my parents pleased with me or not? Do I know their favor or not? Or with God, is God, do I have God's favor or don't I? Is he pleased with me or not? To live in a place of thinking he's displeased, as a child, to live with that displeasure is a huge burden. Is he, is he, I think God's displeased me. My parents, they're displeased with me. And for Moses, he doesn't want to live like that. He wants to know, are you with me? Are you for me or not? I, the way I'm going to know it, guaranteed, is your presence. You with me. To pursue God's promises but not have God, it just wasn't going to work for Moses. Is not good enough for him. He needs God's favor, and therefore, he needs God's presence. The second reason, what else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? I find this a fascinating, fascinating bit here. Because, as we just reviewed, Moses has just been up the mountain. He's received a massive download from heaven of all the things that are to make the people of God different. The Ten Commandments, the civil laws, the sacrifices and atonements, the tabernacle, the priesthood. Huge, huge things that God says that my people will be like this. They'll be totally different to other nations. That is a God-given privilege. That information they've got, as they live by that, would make them different. It would, would distinguish them. But Moses is saying, that's not enough to distinguish us. What else will distinguish me and your people from, from the other people on the face of the earth? We think, all these things, Moses. He said, no, 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 it's not enough. The main thing that distinguishes the people of God is the presence of God. We may have... If you like, a higher moral code. We may have community. And these things are, make us different. But actually, it's the presence of God that is the primary difference. And we'll come back to that a bit more later. Here we're hitting at the heart of holiness. Holiness we think of often as purity, but it's both purity and separate separation, something that's completely different. When we say God is holy, we mean he's completely different to anything we can ever think of or conceive. He's perfect. He's holy. And Moses is saying, we want to be different. We want to be separate. And these rules and regulations and these commandments and these sacrifices, great, but we need your presence. If we're going to be different, if we're going to stand out, if people are going to know that we're the people of God, we need your presence, God. So, what was he really asking for? We will not go up from here unless you come with us. And God says, my presence will go with you. What is he really asking for? Let's skip back a little bit in Exodus 33 to verse 7. Now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp, some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. And whenever Moses went out to the tent... All the people rose and stood at the entrances to their tents, watching Moses until he entered the tent. As Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. Whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance to the tent, they all stood and worshipped, each at the entrance to his tent. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks with his friend. Then Moses returned to the camp, and his young assistant Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. What was he asking for? The pillar of cloud was God's presence for the people of God. It it leads them through the, the wilderness and through the desert. And when Moses goes to the tent of meeting, the pillar of cloud came down. There was a sense of that being the presence of God, but it's not just that. Meeting face to face. Like one speaking to a friend. Meeting face to face. Like one speaking to a friend. What's the presence of God? Intimacy and relationship with him. Moses had spent time face to face with God. So in some senses he was best friends forever. He'd been with God. He was a friend. God spoke to him in a particular way. And nothing Compared to this, we read this in Philippians four. Philippians three. Paul says this: I compare everything. I caught. Sorry, let me start again. I haven't got the verse reference, but it's all right. Everything is rubbish compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus. My Lord. Everything is rubbish. That is our sanitized English version. The word actually means dung. Everything is poop compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Moses had come to this point. Paul's comes to this point. He says, everything else, the promises of God, the plans of God, the purposes of God, I choose the presence of God over those things. I choose the person of God over material blessing. Everything is counted nothing. Everything is rubbish. Everything is done compared to the surpassing, the greater thing of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, Paul says. And that's what Moses gets. Let's just skip again. Exodus 34 verse 29. Moses continues to meet with God, and verse 29 says this, when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, he was not aware that his face was radiant, because he had spoken with the Lord. Grace, have you got your glowworm? Are we familiar with these? I've brought this one out before. He's made a venture upstairs at one point in time. This is a glowworm. Anyone aged... 30 to 40 would we'll probably have owned one at some point in time. This is, this is inherited for our girls. If you expose this to the light, it glows. If you spend time with the light in the darkness, it glows. And Moses is a little glowworm for God. He spends time in the light. He spends time with God. And when he comes down, his person is changed. The level of intimacy in his relationship means his physical being alters. He glows. He shines. This is a man who sought the presence of God, and God said, yes, you can have it. And what happens? His physical appearance takes on luminosity. Becomes neon. Whatever you want to express it, he glowed. That's what God did for him. So when we ask, what was Moses asking for? He was asking for relationship with God. Deep intimacy with him. Not an abstract concept of the presence, but God himself. What does this all mean for us, though? And this is the really, really exciting bit. This is, I'm not going to tell you, I, I might not have told you anything new already, I'll be honest with you. I'm not going to tell you anything now that you don't know, but in this context, it just gets me really excited. We look at Moses and what he chooses. Because I think that what was Moses' privilege is our right in Christ. What was Moses' privilege is our right in Christ. Hebrews, sorry, we're going to rush through a few things here. Don't feel you have to stay with it. If you do, Jesus points for you. We can come into his presence. We can come into his presence. Hebrews 4.16, we approach God's throne with confidence. Hebrews 10, 19 and 20, the way is open to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus. We're in Christ, which means everything that was abhorrent to God, the perfect one, all our sin, our shame, it's been sorted out by the blood of Jesus so that we may come and enter the throne room of God, the most holy place, the place that the priest would have, the high priest would only be able to go once a year. We come daily, hourly, minutely by the blood of Jesus. We come into his presence because we're in Christ. That is our privilege. That is our right, sorry. In Christ. We know his favor. Moses sought it I want to make sure I know we've got your favor. We know we've got his favor. If we're in Christ, then Matthew 3:17 we can put ourselves in that. This is my son, this is my child whom I love, with whom I'm well pleased. When God looks on us, he sees us as individuals, but he treats us as if we were Jesus. So we have the favor of God. Let me say this to you. In terms of your relationship with God, you do not have to live under a weight of displeasure. There are some of us that walk around in our relationship with God just full of condemnation, full of weightiness, thinking, is God really pleased? Can I pray today? I've not prayed for two weeks. Can I pray? I can't, can I? Oh, I messed up again. How can, God's not pleased with me. I can't, have, I can't come into his presence if we're in Christ, we approach the throne room knowing we have God's favor because of what Jesus has done for us. And yes, sin matters, so we deal with it, but that doesn't prevent us from coming into his presence when we're in Christ. It doesn't prevent us from knowing God's favor and God's love when we're in Christ. So if you're in Christ today, you have God's favor, you have his love. Give his grace. You have him in your corner. He's for you. He's not against you. It means that when life challenges come against you, you're not saying, oh no, God's no longer for me. Like Jules prays that, you say, well, if God's for me, there's nothing against me. Nothing can stand. We're conquerors. And the enemy seeks to convince us otherwise. But we come back to the word and we tell the enemy where to go because we believe the word of God, not what he says. Let's flip to Romans 8 for one of the best passages in the Bible from my point of view. And we're going to go from verse 11. We'll come out, lots of the whole chapter. We're going to be in a few bits in the chapter, actually. Romans 8 11. Let's go there first. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you. Now, that's out of context. He's leading to another point. But the point I want to make from this. If, Well, if He's living in you, they'll raise you. But the point is, He's saying that He does. The Spirit of God does live in you. The whole point of this passage is that you've been filled with the Spirit. He lives in you. Now, we had the privilege of Terry Virgo and Wendy Virgo coming recently. And Terry and Wendy resided in the chart's house. What a privilege, what an honor. They resided. It's amazing to have that wisdom and years of experience to ask questions and to draw on. It's nothing. It's not on the same scale as the fact the Holy Spirit resides in us. Now, don't ask me to explain it in a physiological sense or a spiritual sense. I read it in the Word of God, and I believe it. The Spirit of God, if we're redeemed, if we've called on Jesus as our Savior, if we've given our lives to Him and said, He's my Lord, I'm going to follow Him, the Spirit of God resides in us. Just, Just a little think about that. The eternal God who spoke the world into being, who pre-existed time How will live forever in some way that we don't understand resides in us by his Holy Spirit. Moses is like, I need the presence, Lord. I need the presence. He resides in us. Wow. Stay in chapter 8, verses 14 to 16. Let's go to 15, actually. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received a spirit of sonship or adoption. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit testify, himself testifies with our spirit that we're God's children. Now for children, we were co-heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. And if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Moses spoke with God as a friend speaks with God. And yes, we're friends with God. But more than that, we're sons of God. We're sons of God. That's a different type of relationship. There's a commitment involved in that. And God has said, I want you in my family, and you're going to stick in it, and you're going to stay in it. And that's what I want. No longer a spirit of fear, but a spirit of adoption, a spirit of sonship. The relationship has been cemented. You can't be unsunned. You are a son. What else does it mean for us? We're also called to be different. We're also called to be separate from the world. Romans twelve two. Get your jelly moulds ready. Get your jelly moulds ready. If you saw Facebook this morning, you've got a jelly mould. Don't worry if you haven't. I've got a spare one. If you're if you're a child, you haven't got a jelly mould. Do you want a jelly mould? You have a jelly mould? Have a jelly mould? Says this in Romans twelve. Jeff's brought his. I know. I know, that's brilliant. Jeff, you can demonstrate this where you are, you don't have to go. It says in Romans twelve, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. Instead, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We're called to be different. This is what the world tries to do. It tries to stuff us into its mould. It tries to squeeze it into it. Can you squeeze yourself into that, Isabel? Into the mold. Can you get in there? Jeff, can you get into that mould? He can. (laughs) Jeff's being conformed to the pattern of the world. But we're told to not conform. So we throw off the mold of the world. We say we're not going to be a jellyhead. (laughs) We're going to be children of God and follow God's pattern. And we're going to transform the way our mind thinks. We're going to have it renewed. We don't want to. Be like the world and the way it says we should be. Let me give you a a couple of examples. I may be slightly controversial here, but I'll apologize afterwards if, if I'm too controversial. Relationships and dating. Very quickly, the Bible says, marriage is good for a certain set of reasons. It says singleness is good for a certain set of reasons. It makes no comments on dating. Marriage is good, singleness is good. So therefore, dating really... It's about getting to marriage, because it offers no other benefits. The benefits of marriage and the benefits of singleness, dating offers neither. So you're distracted, but as Paul puts in uh, 2 Corinthians 7, um, satisfying our desires, I'm trying to be euphemistic here, that's what marriage does. Dating doesn't offer that either. We don't conform to the pattern of this world. The world says... You date because it's good. And if you're not in a relationship, particularly for teenagers I'm talking about here, then, you know, what are you like if you're not in a relationship? Obviously not very cool, not very nice. We can throw it off. We can throw, we look at what the Bible says, and we can say, we don't have to conform to what the world says. We don't have to date because everyone else is dating. We say, no, I'll wait to the stage when I'm ready for marriage, and then I'll let God lead me if that's what he has for me. I'm not going to plow my time into relationships as a As a child, or as a, even as as a teenager, it's not wrong. I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm just saying, the world says you have to do this, and we say no, we don't. When it comes to identity and value, it says exactly the same thing. It says what you do makes you valuable. What you do makes you valuable. So the first question, second question we ask: Hi, what's your name? What do you do? now I'm going to judge you on how valuable you are to society. Oh, you're a doctor. wow, you're very valuable. That's amazing. Oh, you're a garbage disposal expert. Okay, you have less value. I'm not saying there is any difference between that, but that's what society does. This is what the Word of God says. You are my child, whom I love, with whom I'm well pleased. You're loved. You're valuable. Not because of what you do. Because of who God says you are. And we work out of that. We start serving out of that. We step out out of the value that God gives us rather than trying to earn value in society or with God. We can't earn any more points with God. We can't make ourselves more acceptable to God. We can't make ourselves more impressive to Him. He values us and loves us just as we are. So when we serve and step out, it's because He's called us to do it in faith. Not because we want to make sure He's happy with us or because we want to impress our friends in church. It's a completely different value, completely different. So we don't want to be conformed to the way the world would have us conform. So we're called to be separate and different, and we're different as well because of all the other reasons we've just looked at. We can spend time in his presence. We know his favor. We have the spirit in us. We're sons and daughters of God. All this makes us magnificently different to to those around us, to the world. I've personally not got to a state where I've managed to glow after being in the presence of the Lord. I don't know whether you have or not. But, but I've got access to the presence. I can come into his presence. The spirit of God resides in me. He fills me with his spirit. I'm a son of God. Surely those things alone, well let me, let me take the surely out there, those things alone make us different to The world. Almost our greatest evangelistic strategy could be this. Oh, the word says that I'm different. Brilliant. I'm in the world. I'm evangelizing because I'm different. Because the Lord is in me. Because he's filled me with his spirit. And yes, we're called to preach and yes, we're called to to reach. But actually, we need to realize wherever we go, we're carriers of the presence of God. Wherever we go, God is with us, and he's omnipresent absolutely everywhere. But as those who are redeemed, those who have the spirit in us, when we go somewhere, let me put it this way, anything could happen. Anything could happen, because God is with us. When Jesus walked around on this earth, it must have been so exciting. You're like, man, let's go with Jesus. Literally anything can happen. Last week, he spoke to the sea, and the storm went flat. The other week he's walking across the storm and there was this guy, he was blind, he spat mud in his eyes, It could see, It was amazing. Then we were really hungry and he produced 12 excess baskets of food for 5,000 people. I've, I've still not got my head around that one, but that's what he does. But we're called to do greater things than he did. And God's spirit rests in us, God uses us. We are different because of all the above. I'm off my notes, I apologize. But, and I will conclude with this section, but there are still life-changing decisions to make. The point of this message today is Moses made a life-changing decision. He chose the presence of God over the promises and the blessings of God. Now, actually, he's received some of the promises and some of the blessings. It's not a dichotomy in that sense, but he was put in a position where God put him in a position We had to choose. What is more important to you? What is more important to you? On a regular basis, even daily basis, we set face the same difficult choice. Going back to Philippians 3, Paul says this very simple phrase. I want to know Christ. Have you read the New Testament? Most of it's written by Paul. I would suggest to you, he knew Christ. And yet this is his heart's cry. I want to know Christ. John prayed out in a similar vein. I know you, Lord, but I want more. I want to know Christ, Paul says. Is that our passion? Is that primary for us? Is that the most important thing for us, knowing Christ? Jesus, what are you hungry for? Have you tasted and seen that the Lord is good and therefore had your appetite whetted for what is most important in this world and forever? Kids, what's really important to you? Paw Patrol, of course, of course. But let me say this to you, right? There's nothing more important than God. And you're... Spend your life checking a few things out and working out if that's true or not. But it is true. And you'll try things to see if it makes you happy. And at Christmas you'll get all the presents. you think, that's going to make me happy. And then you'll have certain friends. I want to be friends with them. That'll make me happy. And those things aren't wrong or bad. But actually, the only thing that will ever make us truly joyful, truly satisfied, is God. And going after him with all our hearts and all our lives. Students. Such freedom, such opportunity. The world's your oyster. Your parents are no longer around. You can do what you want. Choose wisely. Choose like Moses chose. Choose to pursue God wholeheartedly. That doesn't mean you won't get involved in other things. Of course not. But what are you going to seek to satisfy your soul? High grades? It's not going to do it. Be diligent in your work, of course, but that's not going to satisfy you. Loads of friends? Not going to satisfy you. Romantic relationships? are good not going to satisfy you. So many things that the world would say this will satisfy, and they're gifts from God, but he alone will satisfy you. Moses knew this, and he chose it. For the rest of us, perhaps our lives are a bit more busy and regulated, and the challenge for us is actually to get out of the busyness, to get out of the distraction, and make sure that we are making that decision Moses made and say, you are the most important thing, God. Busyness of life and responsibilities can detract from our relationship and living radical lives for him. But let's make sure we're putting this in our hearts, that we want to pursue him wholeheartedly. Or as I phrased it to the interns when we were doing the training recently, are you spending unrushed time with Jesus? I've got to challenge myself on that. Am I spending unrushed time with Jesus? Am I pursuing him fundamentally and foremostly? As a church, there's implications as well, which haven't particularly got time to delve into in terms of core groups and meetings and teams and projects and those sort of things about the presence of God and the importance of that. But let me finish with this. Moses knew the most important thing was God's presence. God himself relating to mankind. We're those who have access to his presence. We have the spirit inside us. We would have been adopted into his family. So let us be those who pursue him, his presence, all of him with all of us. Amen. Can I, can I pray for us? That's all right.